Buenas noches. We are filming this special edition of the Metropolitan Culture Corner at night because our guest this month is so busy that this is when she could squeeze us in and we really appreciate that she has. She is Ms. Lucy Lennox, renowned casting director. What's a casting director? Hang in there. We're getting there. In spite of the ongoing pandemic, production houses for commercials, television series, and movies are all doing their very best to keep things rolling. And some of the most crucial people in the process of bringing scripts to life are the people behind the scenes. These are the people whose names you'll see in the... In the these are the... You'd think if you were going to interview a casting director, you would warm up before, but no, I was running late today. So, okay, let's start over. It's fine. It's fine. These are the people whose names you've seen in the credits scrolling after, you know, your favorite series or movie ends, but you may have never seen their faces. Their decisions affect the outcome of the production in the most direct way possible. And one of those crucial people is the casting director. Lucy Lennox has cast over 100 productions, either as lead casting director or as Spanish and European casting director for international co-productions. These productions have collectively accumulated literally hundreds of awards and nominations at various festivals around the world. And Lucy herself has twice been nominated the Best Casting Director in Spain at the ACP Awards, which stands for the Association of Casting Pros. Some of these productions include series and movies that I am sure you've seen. The series Westworld with actors Evan Rachel Wood and Ed Harris, Genius Picasso with Antonio Banderas and Jeffrey Rush, the new Netflix hit series The One, as well as feature films like Woody Allen's Vicky Cristina Barcelona, Perfume with Dustin Hoffman, Alan Rickman, and Rachel Hurd Wood, and numerous others. So what I'm trying to say is you've seen this woman's work, you just didn't know it. Lucy and her team here in Barcelona have also cast over 400 commercials in the past four years for shoots in Spain, as well as around the world in the Ukraine, Australia, Poland, Portugal, Vietnam, and Thailand. When does this woman sleep? I don't know. She also offers coaching via a course called Business Blueprint at Frank Stein Studio, which is her studio here in Barcelona. And she is passionate about working with up and coming actors. And Lucy is here with us today to tell us how she does what she does. So are you ready? I always ask you this like you're gonna say no. I think the more experience you have as somebody who's working in the creative industry, the better. And all of these things add. So when I read a script, I often have insight into different stories, into different parts of the world. Knowledge is power. And the more you know about the world and the more you know about different cultures, the more opportunity you have to understand and to empathize. And that is important for casting directors and for everyone. First of all, thank you for talking with us. You were born in England, but you've spent the past 15 years working mostly between Barcelona and Madrid. What drew you to Spain? And what is it about these two cities that keeps you here all these years as your base? I was born in England, but I'm Irish. So we went back to Ireland when I was around four. Then I moved to London. The first time I came to Spain to live was in the 80s, around 87. And because I was studying here, I did part of my university degree in Barcelona. And it was such a cool time in Barcelona. It was pre-Olympic. It was a very kind of crazy city, a lot of artistic people, a lot of people in theatre, a lot of artists lived here then from all over the world because it was very cheap. So I made a lot of friends. Then I graduated in 1990, which was a very weird time to graduate because it was a huge recession in the world. We didn't have, my generation, as much access to information. So I really wanted to save the world. Nobody told me that you didn't get paid. And so I applied for a couple of jobs. I mean, I thought I was highly qualified for them, but they didn't necessarily see it that way. And then I looked at the salary and I was like, 
but I can't really actually afford to live on that. So I ended up going to Italy for a year and I lived in Milan and I can remember thinking, oh, Italy is great, the food is amazing, but Barcelona is a much easier city to live in. And I had a friend here, he was leaving his apartment and he was like, hey, why don't you come back to Barcelona and you can stay in my apartment, you can keep it. And the rent was so cheap, it was like a hundred euros a month in Plaza Universidad. And I was like, great. So I arrived back in Barcelona in 1991 with 150 euros and a friend who had about 50 euros and we just made our lives here. I started running clubs, I ran clubs for many years, promoting in all kinds of different spaces with a group of really interesting people from all over the world, some of whom are still my closest friends. And I also worked at the same time for the Furrell Spouse. I did production jobs, I managed their band and I toured with them for a couple of years around the world. Then they gave me another job touring with a theatre company. I met lots of people. I used to organize fashion shows, um, film production companies, rap parties. And I was very popular because I did the guest list for the clubs that I worked in. At that stage, we had access to as much free alcohol as you could give away. There was no computers controlling everything. So we had free pour. And so I knew a lot of people. And then I've left Barcelona several times. I went back to live in Ireland for a year and I went back to work in London for a year. I worked for MTV and I also worked in a couple of films in London. But once you've lived in the Mediterranean, it's really difficult to get used to British or Irish weather or the way of doing things. Here, when I say here, I'm kind of talking pre-COVID, the way that you manage your social life. It's like, oh, you want to go out for a drink? Yeah, fine. Can so-and-so come? Yes, that's great. Whereas when you live in London, it's like, would you like to go to the cinema in three weeks' time? So once you're used to life here, I think the quality of life is amazing. I like being a foreigner living outside of my country. I think there's an enormous freedom to be yourself because when you're at home, in Ireland, we always call it home-home. So when you're home-home, People think you should behave in a certain way. And if you don't behave in that way, you're seen as odd. Whereas here, they just think I'm giddy. You did all these other things and you worked in production. And as you said, you toured, you worked at MTV. How did all these other things that you did influence your career as a casting director when you first started? And how do they continue to influence you now? I think it's knowing people. You know, when you work in like clubs, you watch people and see how they interact. So that's a very useful skill. I've seen people at their best moments. I've seen people at their worst moments. So that all helps. That's having a huge personal database in my mind of talent that I can approach. And listening, I think to be a good casting director, you have to be a good listener. Working on tour, I know actors very well. I spent two years of my life touring with actors, so I know their motivations or what drives them, and that helps to understand their process. And just understanding human beings makes you a good casting director. I don't want to put words in your mouth because you're the expert here. To me, casting seems like a bit of an art and a bit of a science. Because it's one thing if you're working with an actor whose work you know really well, and it's another thing if you are specifically seeking an unknown or a very specific look. So how do you know if someone will work chemistry-wise with the other people in the ensemble? Is it just a question of, like you said, life experience? We're very much like matchmakers. We're just putting people forward because we don't make the decisions. I have to understand what the director or the writer or the producer is looking for, what he or she might think is a good looking guy or a good looking girl. It might be totally opposite to me, but I have to put people forward that they will like. And that's about seeing their projects and understanding them, their psyche. And then you put forward the people that you believe are right. And hopefully there's this chemical moment where they meet and it all works together. When you are handed a script, what's a typical day for you if someone says, okay, I need to find somebody by tomorrow? How does that work? 
if it's a script on a fiction project, which is TV or a film, we normally have a much longer time. I read the script and then I do a character breakdown. Then I'll talk to production to make sure that the budget is right, because obviously you can't have Brad Pitt if you're doing a one million euro film. So there's all kinds of elements I have to know about financing of it. Then I'll do up a list and I'll put forward proposals, the pictures and their video, and then we'll have a conversation about that. Then the people that are chosen from that list, we ask them to audition, unless they're extremely well known, in which case we might set up an interview as they're interviewing the director rather than the other way around. Then we have something called a callback. So that would be a second casting where the people who work will be asked to come back and will work a little bit more in depth in the scenes. Or sometimes we'll have a chemistry read where if there's a love interest or if somebody has to be on screen with somebody in their relationship is very important. We have to see that they'll work together, usually in a studio, but right now online. So I do it just like this with Zoom. We bring the actors online and they work together, which is weird, but it's working. And then we get down to the final choices and then we offer them the role. Or if we're working for a studio, I have to send the final choices to the studio for approval. Then the studio executives, they have the final say. In this post-pandemic era of these self-tapes and Zoom castings, as you said, it must be a little strange if you're trying to feel the chemistry through the screen. So is that giving you a different way of working or is it just a question of trying to do the best you can and get the feel for the person? I mean, there's some things that are great about it. I've been casting people from all over the world and I teach online as well. So I have students from Japan or South America, in Mexico, in Uruguay, Spain, Romania, and in Italy. At the moment, the world feels like a very, very small place and a very big place you know I see people from all over the world more than I see my neighbors and in terms of adapting to the work it's constant you know I've always been adapting there's always been something new new technology when I started casting we were recording on tapes I used to have to send tapes to people and now everything's online so I'm always updating my kind of technical skills and then it's just about working with people to make them feel comfortable and to make them feel that it will work there's no point thinking oh I can't wait for it to go back to normal I've never been normal and I don't really like the word normal so I'm just like we're moving forward let's keep going when you first had your very first production where you were the lead casting director, did it feel like a natural transition from all these other very interpersonal jobs that you had? Or was it was it scary? Was it difficult? It just felt natural. But I was very lucky. My first jobs were with Pepa Prangol, who's a Barcelona casting director, and he's great. And I worked as his assistant, and he taught me how to work. It's like doing an apprenticeship. But I always believe I can do anything. So you apply logic, you listen, you learn. And I worked really hard. I've done jobs that, you know, 18 hours, 20 hours to get it done. I think that my generation had very little concept of life-work balance. I can't remember saying, oh, you know, I have to leave work to go to the gym. I should have done, maybe, but I was just like, okay, I've got to do this. I don't know how to do it, but I'll learn. How much do you think success in the world of entertainment, whether you're an actor or whether you're behind the scenes, has to do with your willingness to put in all the hours? Of course, people have talent and people have innate abilities, but how much do you think it has to do with the work too, just putting in the work? I think it has to put in the work. One of the things that I truly believe is that if you want to be involved in an industry, you have to support the industry and that means going to see other people's work being involved now, i've been going to the theater here for 30 years and that's how i ended up working in the theater the first time i went to see the furrow spouse was on my 20th birthday and then i met some of the people in it and then later on i worked with them that was an enormous privilege some of the filmmakers i've worked with i worked on their student projects and i was always said yes and i've gone to see film and theater in catalan and i don't speak great catalan but i've never said oh i'm not going to go and see something because i don't speak 
the language. Now I've been very active in terms of showing up, leaning in. And I think if you do that in the industry, then it makes a place for you. Because if you sit at home waiting for them to call you, they don't. Of course, I did my due diligence and read your biography. And you were the head of diversity and inclusion for CSA Europe. I found that to be really interesting because these days the concept of diversity, whether we're talking about gender, whether we're talking about race or, or anything, is very much on everybody's lips, but it wasn't always. So what kind of responsibility did that entail and how did that influence your work later on? For me, diversity is extremely important and it's always been important. I feel very, very lucky because of the way I was brought up to believe in a multicultural world. You know, I did my dissertation on the NAACP. I think the world belongs to us all and we have to make it a better place for everybody. For me, diversity is not really diversity because we're all diverse. It's inclusion. It's called diversity now. I struggle slightly with that because I feel like that's like saying somebody who's not like me is diverse. You know, I think we all have so much in common, but what makes us interesting is our differences. I'm often telling that to actors, you know, yes, actors have a lot in common for the desire to act, but what makes them interesting is their diversity or their differences. The more we celebrate that there isn't a normal, normal is the combination of everything. If we can have a world where everybody is an individual, but we act collectively, then the world will be a safer and a happier place for everybody. We're talking about the beauty of diversity and the interest that there is when you you see someone who is just themselves. But I know that an actor watching this interview would say, okay, but if I go into an interview and I want to be myself and I want you to see me, there are multiple ways I could present myself authentically. So is there something you could tell an actor, look, this is what I would love to see in an audition from you, besides being yourself? They have to make the role themselves. We're not judging actors. We're seeing, we're trying them on to see who fits the role the best. And it will either be for that actor or it won't be for that actor. Like a musician, they have to work on their craft, rehearsal, training. All of those things are important. And then it is just being the role. I think it's very unfair with actors because they have to look effortless. They have to look like they were born to play the role. To do something effortlessly requires a lot more effort than you would think. Yeah, exactly. Now, the one thing that I want people to understand is that I do not look for roles for actors. I look for actors for roles. Some of my best friends are amazing actors and I've never been able to cast them. There's never been a role that's right for them. I'm happy to know them. I love meeting actors, but I don't know until they give me the project what I'm going to be looking for. Is there anything exciting that you have coming up on the horizon that you're allowed to talk about? Baby, which is a film by Juan Mabajoloa, which is a film with no dialogue. And it's well worth seeing when you get the opportunity because it's incredibly brilliant and very proud to have been involved with that. I'm very happy with The One, where I cast the Spanish and the Portuguese cast in that. That was number one on Netflix in the world last week. Spanish actors getting lead roles in British Netflix series. So I'm very proud of the process of that. And I think that's all I'm allowed to talk about. <laughs> okay. okay, so weird final question. Is Annie Oakley of Any Get Your Gun fame really a distant relative of yours or is that an urban legend? No, that's true. She was married to a butler. My grandmother's a butler from Ireland. It's an Irish surname. And Thomas Butler was her husband. And he left Ireland and he went to America and he was a gun shooter. And then he married Annie Oakley. He was my blood relative. She married into my family. I love that. That's great. 
I'm just glad that I come from a family who likes strong women. Right, that's the best way to end the interview ever. Well, thank you so much, Lucy. It's been so interesting learning not only what goes into your day-to-day -day as a casting director, but also the philosophy behind what you do. And we hope that all your projects continue to have a ton of success, whether it's here in Barcelona or somewhere else in the world. Tune in next month to go behind the scenes with yet another one of our city's fascinating creative residents. These are individuals who continue to create art and culture and music and film and everything, even in times of crisis, who make sure that the show does go on. And I, for one, am always looking forward to learning more about what they do. One of the other things I just love about these interviews is that it really shows you how the world, as they say in Spanish, el mundo es un panuelo, no? The world is a handkerchief, meaning it's small, especially in a city like Barcelona, especially in an industry like this one. Because last month, our guest was none other than Frank Aleo, who worked for years and years and years with Juro de los Baos, and he continues to collaborate with them on videography and set design and stuff. Ms. Lucy said that one of her first contacts in the industry was with the exact same people. Our guest, Oscar Foronda, who's one of like, the nicest guys ever, Lucy has cast him in productions. So, I mean, you know, like she said, get out there, meet people. You just never know. Tírate a la piscina, ¿por qué no? 